Alright. I'm going to pray because I need help. <laughs> Today's just been one of those days. Um, where I don't know if it's like single dadhood or if it's just cocky went really late or I don't know what it was, but like I have not been in the right frame of mind today. Like I, I literally have, when I left work to go pick up my kids from school, because I always leave early on Wednesdays, I drove home. And then, and then I decided, oh, what am I doing? I'm passing my house. I need to go pick up my kids. So I just kept driving, and then, and then like my brain went into like autopilot yet again. And I went to the seminary where I go Tuesdays and Thursdays for my boss instead of going to the school where my kids go to school. So it's just been one of those days where that was just like the tip of the iceberg. So I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth tonight. So I'm hoping that you guys can really uh, carry the conversation and I can sit back and relax and just enjoy all the wisdom that you guys have so you're in trouble yeah okay thank you i'm still not 40 yet that's next month so uh, yeah i thank you larry i appreciate appreciate that uh vote of encouragement so when's your birthday i'm not telling you it's the 17th so it's the 17th yeah good it's close it's close to that so all right let's pray god i thank you for the opportunity to teach and I thank you because uh, you know that I enjoy it and uh, I probably need it more than uh, the church needs me because I need that discipline and I need that focus attention every week to just uh, invest time studying your word in a more in-depth level than normal I pray that you would help it to sink deeply into my heart so that I can communicate that in an effective, in a clear, in a compelling way to those who are here. Pray that since our desire is to have a discussion and rather than me lecture, that our discussion would be profitable, that those of us that are younger would lean on the wisdom of those that are older, that those of us uh, that have unique perspectives might have a voice to communicate and that we might be able to sharpen one another and encourage one another as often as we're together so that we can have courage and boldness as we communicate your truth. Help us to have a profitable hour together. In your name we pray. Amen. So every week, um, so first off, there's new faces. Some of you I don't know. So as we discuss, when you pitch in, uh, I tried to do this last week, some of you were cooperative, others were not. Um, but if, when you contribute, if you could say your name for the first week or two, so I can get to know who you are. My name's Troy. I've been here for, I don't know how long, five, almost six years, I think. Um, so I have two of the cutest kids, Caden and Hadley, nine and six. They're in fourth grade and first grade. And they were walking in with me if you were here earlier. Um, as I told those of you that were here last week, so this topic is something that um, I cannot stand up before you and claim to be an expert in. Um, 
yes, I've had seminary. Yes, I grew up at a great church and went to school and all that jazz. But at the end of the day, um, I can't. I cannot ever recall the, an opportunity that I've had to sit down one on one with someone, walk them through the plan of salvation, and they actually repented and believed in that moment. So I can't ever tell you if I've won a soul to the Lord in that typical old-fashioned sense of the term. I've been able to communicate the gospel. Um, God, in this season of life that he's allowed me to be in, is is, uh, expanding my horizons significantly in this area. So maybe I have some nugget of wisdom to pass on, but not much in comparison to what our our veteran saints have, have to contribute to us. So we need you to speak up and speak often because um, we need your, your help. We need that Titus 2 thing going on in here every week. So the title of the course is Relational Evangelism. And I'm wondering, out of curiosity, if any of you recall our definition of evangelism that we suggested last week. Not your definitions, because those were way better than mine. I gave you a very simple one, so I'm just wondering if you can remember the simple version. Making disciples through the gospel. Okay, making disciples through the gospel. That's very close. Almost all the words are there. I wasn't here last week. Perfect. Well, that's even that's really good. Joe? Sharing the gospel to make disciples. Sharing the gospel to make disciples. So sharing... Clearly communicating the gospel, that is the facts of the gospel, so that in order to make disciples. So we want to see conversions. We want to see repentance and faith. That's the two sides of the coin of conversion. Disciples, Jesus followers, people who go and do likewise. They follow Jesus in obedience and then they they replicate themselves by sharing the gospel to other people. So that's evangelism. Our goal this week is going to be to identify, and this is going to be the top of your handout, and this is the only thing you have to write down. And then I left you a bunch of blank space because the whole time tonight is going to be devoted to just discussing and you communicating to me. And then I'm just going to throw out some some, uh, Bible verses for your consideration. So the goal tonight is to, one, identify, and then two, to humbly confess the reasons we give for not evangelizing. So it might be, if we're, if we're willing to be honest tonight, it might be an awkward and embarrassing conversation, um, if we're honest. We could be super spiritual, okay? So I'm just going to lay it out there um, bluntly. You can all be super spiritual, and I'm going to know that you're being super spiritual, because I've heard the answers. So I'd rather you just lay down your like churchy jargon stuff, kind of like throw it out the door, and then let's just get real with each other as to why we don't talk about the gospel with other people. So, and there we go. Is that Pastor Larry? It's probably Pastor Larry. Almost. It's close. We'll blame it on him. So why don't we evangelize? Okay, by the way, here we go. I'm going to try something new that Pastor Larry's going to hopefully be super stoked about. I'm going to attempt to write on a keynote presentation with my iPad. So here we go. I'm going to write down your answers. 
Chris. Oh, geez, what I do. I don't know if I can do that. Never mind. Here we go. I'll write in blue. It's my favorite color. All right, Chris. Just fear of being rejected by, I think, especially as a friend or a woman. It's showing up. Can you read that? You won't be able to read my writing, so this is probably self-defeating. But so fear of rejection. Uh, yeah. Pardon my lack of spelling, Joe. Um, in my case, I'm very cautious because I don't want to get into a fight with somebody, a verbal argument. Motivation. Motivation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't forget, by the way, your names. So, because. Okay. Saw another hand. I'm Linda, and um, if you are not, like, you don't feel like um, you're growing in the Lord, your relationship with the Lord is not there. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> what, Larry, what am I doing? Oh, there we go. Or you're, struggling yourself um, spiritually, I guess. So, how would we put that? Um, uh, Lack of or uh, slow walk with God or something or stagnant. I don't know. Frank, and it's um, just hard-headed people. I mean, I've got family that they're put into their ways, the faith they've grown up with. The doctrine they've grown up with it's wrong and there's just no breaking through it. Or in the case of my mother, she'll listen but and she'll agree, calls herself a Christian, but I'm pro choice. <laughs> and so and I've heard that so much just okay, I just give up, you know, just let's talk about the weather that the book says, you know. I mean, so we're only a few minutes in the class, so we're going to need to talk more. So I need some more ideas. Because this is all we're doing tonight. I see your members. Uh, fear, like some of the other fear of embarrassment. You start have something in your mind you're going to say, and then your mind goes blank, or they come. Jeez, I don't know. Something you can't come back with them. I'm changing this because this is ridiculous. Sorry. Here we go. We're going to do a different program that I don't delete everything. So we're going to have to help me uh, remember this. So we have fear. And that was rejection. See, Keynote and Apple products aren't always that awesome, Larry. Embarrassment. I don't know how to spell that. Embarrassment. Whatever. It's close enough. 
Rejection, embarrassment, um, argument. Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Oh, yeah. Fight. Lack of knowledge. I should give my mom's name. Okay. Pride was one. Joe? I was say, some people don't feel comfortable being a leader, so maybe leadership issue there. Okay. Pence? You're being I mean, lack of knowledge, but I mean, I think there's, I mean, when I think of lack of knowledge, I think, oh, well, you actually don't know the facts, or you don't know, okay, well, what do I need to communicate to a person in order to actually legitimately share the gospel? I think when you look at lack of knowledge, you start speaking to someone and they start throwing all these questions to you, and you're not sure, okay, you know, now, now you're talking back to me, so... Lack of confidence because you're not confident enough to know if you want to work to tell people. Yeah. Is that the same as lack of boldness? Probably. 
it's okay to say, like, I can get back to you. Right? I mean, if someone asks Absolutely. You, yeah, I think that's we're all we're afraid, like you said, you're afraid you might not have the right answer, but we can say, you know, I'd love to get back to you. Yeah, like, that's a great question, yeah. and I wrestle with that too sometimes. Yeah. Why don't we talk again about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, because I think that there's sometimes a... Uh, I don't know how you put it, but like this pressure that we put on ourselves that, oh, well, First Peter says that we always have to be ready to give an answer, right, for the hope that lies within us. We'll look at that text again. We looked at it last week. And then, so we give, but that doesn't mean that we actually have every answer to every criticism or at every potential hang-up that they might have to the gospel. Um, so, Dad, there's sheets over there if you need them on the counter. So we have a whole body of Christ we can depend on. Which is sometimes we feel isolated and all alone when it's like, well, you know what? I actually don't know how to answer that. Let me go figure that out. Go talk to your pastor. Or go talk to someone within your, your church body. Phyllis? Um, the verse that you mentioned has two parts in it. And one of them is you read always to give an answer anyone who asks a reason of the hope that's in you, that involves someone, you know, coming to you and asking. But there's also the side of the living witness that we are because the love of Christ is in us and we, you know, people will people will ask us if they see us being a Christian, if they see us living an upright life, a, a life that reflects the character of God. So you're right about that pressure, that that pressure to always, you know, we can give an answer, even if it's not a, a theological, you know, I mean, we can say because of what Jesus did for me and explain what he did for me, that, it, that in itself is evangelizing. It's not on the level that we want to be at, but it is something that we can do instead of freezing in the moment and pulling back. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to add to the list? Marcia, um, and I have two sons that are not followers. I think probably I might find it more difficult to speak to them than I do a stranger. And I I guess I come to the conclusion they know who I am, they were raised in the church, and all I can do is pray for them.
guys have covered, I think, everything I have on my list, but what I would like to do is I'm going to tick off some of them. I mean, this is a pretty decent sized list. I'm guessing that at least all of us fit somewhere and could at least offer, agree with like, yep, that's me, or more than one. But, um, so I, I made a list. Some of them I, I found in uh, that book that I suggested last week, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever. He has a list of four or five. So I, a couple of them are from him, and a couple of them are from my own personal experience. A couple of them are through conversations that I've had with uh, some pastor friends of mine. So number one, we're scared to death. Okay, um, If you would... If you have your Bible, turn to Second uh, Timothy chapter one. I'd like to read, and I'd like to give you the context. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too deep into the weeds here, but I think that it would be helpful to hear the context of Second Timothy one. We're gonna read this section. There's no way you can read that. I don't know why I put that up there. Um, but it's 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 12. Just pardon my attempt. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And you could rip that verse out of context. In fact, I have a great story of this. It's slightly out of context, I think. So when I was in high school, I was terrified. I played. I grew up playing the trumpet, Mr. Biggs, actually, when I was in second grade. The story goes something like this. Apparently, my parents had my dad's cornet from Vietnam or something like that up in the fruit cellar of our house. When I was in second grade, right, Dad, something like that? I cleaned out the fruit cellar. Why? I have no idea. And I find his cornet. So I sit downstairs, and I played the thing until I figured out the Michigan Fight song. So then my parents decided, we're getting you lessons, in which case I started taking lessons from Ron Biggs, and then I played trumpet until basically the time I moved to Milwaukee. So I hated playing the trumpet uh, solos in, in person. And it was about my, I think it was my junior year of high school, I had to go play in a state competition. And my basketball coach at the time it was the night before we had a game, and then the next day was the competition. And he like kind of gave me this verse and said, you know, tuck that away in your brain. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, now I know that's probably not exactly the right context. However, listen to the context. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power love and self-discipline so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord or of me his prisoner what does that sound like do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord the gospel 
Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Of this gospel, Paul saying, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame or embarrassment, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. For you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ. Guard the good deposit, the gospel, that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So this context isn't playing the trumpet in a competition. This context is the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, don't be freaked out by sharing the gospel. Go with boldness. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit. He will guard you. He will protect you. The Spirit of God does not give you a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and wisdom, self-discipline, self-control. So to combat our fear, we have the Holy Spirit of God, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Next to fear, if you were jotting down that huge long list of reasons why we don't share the gospel, put that text down. Number two, we don't know what to say. You mentioned that. Well, good news for you. Next week, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the explicit facts of the gospel that we need to communicate um, in order to be legitimate evangelists. We need to know that because you can't save anybody. You can be super duper persuasive and you can have like the most polished uh, system of evangelism known to man. And no matter what, that's not going to convert a soul because they're dead in their sins. So next week, we're going to look at the facts of the gospel. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, we read it last week. Paul alludes, he's saying, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful, be thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. So there is a message the gospel that we must be able to communicate. So therefore, we have to know the facts. You, as a believer, have a responsibility to know the essential facts of the gospel to then communicate that because you're a disciple that replicates disciples. Just like we're a church that is hopefully a church planning church plant, right? And on and on it goes. That's what we should be. We should be disciple makers who just keeps going so we don't know what to say number two we don't feel or number three we don't feel confident that we can answer their questions first peter 3 verses 15 through 16 we looked at this last week but in your hearts revere christ as lord and here's the underline always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have we're going to I'm going to attempt to help you with that. Um, on that half sheet of paper that's thicker, 
you look down at lessons eight and lessons nine. I'm tr- I, what I try to do is provide like a big picture for you. Okay, here's where we're gonna go. It might we might not get there, but this is my goal. I at least had to commit to you because who knows where I would go if I didn't have a commitment to you. The lessons eight and lessons nine: how to interact with a skeptic. I don't know about you, but one of my closest friends, he is a skeptic. He lives out in California. He's drunk the liberal Kool-Aid. He comes back every time from California with a new wacky concoction of how the Bible is jacked up, how it can't be. I mean, I was telling Larry and Julie, we went out to the, I don't know if I'm allowed to confess this, we went out to the lake Saturday morning because Larry's addicted to surfing behind my boat. And (laughs) that's true. And, uh, And so, but it was great as we talked the whole way there and the whole way back about all sorts of cool stuff like this. And I told him, one of my friends, like the latest argument he gave was, oh, well, the Bible is just filled with stories that are basically recapitulations of other stories from other religions or other history books. That it's not real, it's not original. So, like, the stories of Jesus, they're all, like, just, like, almost kind of uh, glorified copies of other other myths and legends. And, and I'm just like... I've never even heard of that. You know, like when I'm sitting there talking to my friends, I'm like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. I've never even heard such absurdity. So those are the kind of things that, well, how do you even prepare for that, <laughs> number one? Well, how do you how do you deal with that? Well, that's what I, would, I hope to help you with. I am going to totally be pulling Larry up here to help us with that because Larry's our resident apologist and he knows all about how to ask the right questions. And those two weeks are we're going to depend heavy on the book that I gave you, Questioning Evangelism. If you if you haven't looked at that book yet, it's phenomenal. And it goes through scenarios of like, hey, here's this bus driver and he's smashing the credibility of Scripture. And here's how I asked questions to get him to rethink what, he's, what he was believing in. Oh, okay. It's it's not rocket science, but it feels like it. So I'm hoping that our class can help prepare you to counteract that. But we must be prepared. We have a responsibility to be able to be prepared to answer those types of questions or at least figure out how to um, put a pebble in their shoe to make them think twice about what they're they're claiming. Okay? Uh, to add that about the guy that Troy's talking about, his name's Bobby. They lived across the street kitty corner from us from the time they were babies. And Bobby's been gone, what, maybe 15, 10, 15 years now? Something like it's that. It's been a long time. But every time he comes back into town, he always shows up for dinner. house for a meal. <laughs> and Magically shows up yeah, for dinner time. It's beautiful rather Bobby like, B. He's there. Yeah. And he's, d- despite what we have told him, despite what Troy has told him, he comes back. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I don't want to hear what those people have to say. I don't, want to, I don't want to go see them anymore. He comes back to our house. So so there's hope that maybe someday from all the times that we've talked to him and Troy's talked to him, that, in fact, I believe one of his brothers uh, yeah. that lives out in Howell uh, has become a believer. So it's, it's in the family. I've never watched The Simpsons. However, he always would uh, claim that we were the like the other family in The Simpsons. I don't know. Flanders. The Flanders. There we go. Our resident uh, Simpsons expert. So, 
Yeah, fear, fear. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to answer their objections. I don't know if you resonate with any of these, but maybe I'm just confessing my... Um, I don't... Here's another one. I don't know a lot of unbelievers. Yikes. Mark Dever, that the guy that wrote The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, on page 17 he writes... Isolation from unbelievers may be the most common excuse for a lack of evangelism. This is the excuse of choice for mature Christians. Now just just think about that for a second. Do you know a lot of unbelievers? Some of you are like, yeah, I mean, I work with them every day. I wish they would stop communicating. Larry, just amen. He works a lot on fleevers. So, I mean, I know Tim. He works right down the street from me. He's got to work with a lot on fleevers unless he's, you know, shared the gospel with everyone at Comerica and they've all uh, fallen on their face and repented, which would be awesome. I, highly unlikely. I mean, I, I don't know about you. But some of us, okay, do you know them? Okay, you might know their name. Like, oh yeah, well there's that dude over there. Like, We all work with a bunch of unbelievers, probably. But do you know them? Like, do you actually have a relationship with them? Or do you just happen to, like, know their name? Maybe know, like, where they live. Maybe know they have a couple kids, but that's, that's it. Like, do you know, know them? Uh, I don't know. I've lost track of the numbers, but... Another one. We lack the burning fire in our gut to see the lost come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. We read a lengthier portion of this last week. But verse 14 says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, we are, are, are confident and convinced in our soul that Christ died for all died for all, verse 15, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We lack a burning fire. I mean, do you have, and I'm not not, uh, asking you this question uh, without asking myself this question, so I'm asking it like for everyone you can hear, including myself. Do you have a burning passion within your soul to see the loss come to Christ? Does that move the needle in your heart? But I would like to suggest that we don't wait until we have a passion in order to share the gospel because we might be waiting forever. John Piper wrote this, and I, I don't know where the quote originated from, but uh, I, I wasn't able to find the original source, but he said this. It was probably a sermon or a blog post. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a love for the lost? This is a term we use as part of our Christian jargon. Many believers search their hearts in condemnation, looking for the arrival of some feeling of benevolence that will propel them into bold evangelism. It will never happen. It is impossible to love the lost, he says. You can't feel deeply for an abstraction or a concept. 
You would find it impossible to love deeply an unfamiliar individual portrayed in a photograph, let alone a nation or a race or something as vague as all lost people. My caveat, which is why relational evangelism is so important. He says, Don't wait for a feeling or love in order to share Christ with a stranger. You already love your Heavenly Father, and you know that this stranger is created by Him, but is separated from Him. So take those first steps in evangelism because you love God. It is not primarily out of compassion for humanity that we share our faith or pray for the lost. It is first of all, love for God. So some of you might just be like, let's do this thing. You've got the burning passion. That's sweet. But some of you might have like zero on the radar. Well, that's not cool. But you you claim to be a Christian. Therefore, you love God. So obey Him. I think that if we understand the gospel... that that should ignite some sort of passion within us to reach the lost. When we realize that we are dead in sin. And if we could get, and I don't know about you, but I think it's really hard for for especially young people who've grown up in Christianity. I grew up in a home with Christian parents. I grew up in a Christian school. I went to a Christian college. I taught in a Christian school, I went to a Christian seminary, and then like I work at a company with a Christian owner and I do all of his Christian ministry. So I'm like, I'm totally in the bubble. And I think it's hard for people like me to ever feel the the true weight and onus of my sin. Like, is it really that ugly? Is it really that heinous? I mean like Yes, I know factually, my sin crucified Christ, but is it really that bad? I don't know about you, but common churchgoer who grew up in in Christianity, I think it's really hard to kind of like connect the dots to, to have your... But if you have the ability to feel the weight of your sin, like, oh my goodness, what an amazing thing God has done for me through Christ. That will compel us to go share. Another one. We don't have time. We're too busy. Yeah, I get that. I get that. We got a job. We're away from the house 10 to 12 hours a day. Then we got to go home because we got a wife and kids at home. Or you're the mom who's been at home all day with their kids or at work all day and then you get home and you gotta make dinner and then you gotta get homework done and then you gotta get in bed. Like, well where in the world's the time to ever share the gospel with anyone? What unbeliever could I possibly know to share the gospel with when all I know are my kids and the walls of my house? We don't have time, we're too busy. Hopefully we can talk about that later. Here are two of my observations. One We have an amazing ability to compartmentalize evangelism into one activity of our lives rather than make it our lifestyle. We can we think about evangelism like, okay, we're gonna go do that. 
like in in this hour of our day, right? We're gonna go knock on doors, and we're gonna or we're gonna go on a mission trip, or we're gonna go put flyers on so and so's door, or we're gonna go to Discovering God Hour, make sure we rub shoulders with um, the unbelievers during that event, or we're gonna go to the church events like uh, the trunk retreat thing that we do here, or whatever we call that. Sorry if I offended any of you that I don't know the name of that, but. We segment it. When true Christianity and true evangelism is like it's always on our radar, right? It's it's our lifestyle. So we're like we're hanging out with people and we're thinking of ways to get to know them so that we can build credibility so we can share the gospel with them. Or just make a comment about God. That that in and of itself is not necessarily sharing the gospel and evangelizing them in that moment, it's, but it's building a relationship so that we have a, that relationship serves as a conduit or a pathway to communicate the truth of the gospel. But it's a lifestyle. It's there's We're always mindful and always looking for opportunities to witness. Last one. We subconsciously, I hope I got that right, we subconsciously treat the gospel as opinion rather than objective truth. Now that one, hopefully that doesn't blow anybody's mind. So I always get subjective and objective confused. But I'm going to read it again. But I'm sweating profusely, so I'm going to drink my Coke Zero in my Yeti mug. It feels so good. And it's cooling out. We subconsciously treat the gospel as opinion rather than objective truth. If I, if I like, made you all bow your heads, close your eyes, and raise your hands, do a little invitation, but not a true invitation, I would ask you, do you believe that the gospel is a matter of opinion? Not a single one of you would raise your hands. Then why don't you share that? as objective truth with other people. Do we believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is opinion? Or do we believe it as objective truth? Like that it's unarguable, it's like undeniable truth, right? 2 plus 2 equals 4. The fact that you're sitting here, unless you're really out there and you believe we're in some weird matrix, like some atheists do, okay, you're really here. I can go poke you and you're going to feel it. You're here. That's objective truth. But do we believe that the gospel is that true? Do we believe that as, as true as it is that Tim is sitting here next to his wife, that the gospel is as true as that, actually even more true? Because if we believe it's that true, then we should have no problem whatsoever declaring it out to the public that this is true. And if they don't believe it, it's not a matter of opinion. It is truth, undeniable, crystal clear. Jesus died. God created. You're going to hell if you don't repent and believe. Jesus rose again and conquered death. And provides eternal life. If, and if you don't repent and believe, you're doomed. 
that's true, and that's as true as 2 plus 2 is 4. But I'm afraid, and that's why I said subconsciously, because none of us would be like, yep, that's me. I, I believe the gospel's opinion. No. But yet we're, too com- we're so comfortable that we treat our faith in Jesus, the gospel, as, as one of many opinions. Our opinion happens to be the right one, but we still view it as opinion nonetheless. So we end up being flexible, we end up being accommodating, and maybe we're even bashful to declare with confidence that the gospel is true. But it's the truest thing there is. It is the truest thing there is. And why is it true? Because God said it. God did it. I think we really need to think about that one. Because I... I would venture to guess that if we took all of those other things, all of those other excuses, we're scared, we don't know how to answer, we lack that burning fire in our gut, we don't have time. If we actually were convinced that the gospel is not just opinion, but it's fact, Maybe that would that would give us that boldness and that confidence to just go guns a blazing into the world, into the workforce, and say, God created you. You sinned. Jesus died. He rose again. Repent and believe so your sins can be forgiven and you can be right with God. That's true. So I'm going to attempt to make this thing work again because I just have one more slide for you. I don't know if I'm going to make it work. but That's my beautiful daughter. Kindergarten graduation. There we go. Well, kind of kindergarten graduation. She was sick, so she didn't get to go. So we did a mock kindergarten graduation. So, what do you do with this? If you... If you identified with any of the things that we talked about tonight. Any of those reasons. Or maybe you just were unwilling to share your reason or reasons. You know what they are. What do you do? Well, stay with the class and tolerate me for ten more weeks. And I hope that the class will prove helpful if I don't pass out because of the heat. Um, but I think that it will prove helpful because I think that we will talk about things that will be will equip you because that's the goal is to equip you to be an evangelist. But in the meantime, here are three steps, and there could be a gazillion of them. But here are three simple steps to stop not evangelizing. We have to stop it. We just have to go do it. So number one, pray. Pray that God would grant you boldness. Pray that God would grant you opportunity. And then don't be surprised when that very day or the next day, it's like smack in your face. Hey, here's this person who's talking to you about uh, how crappy their life is. And you have this amazing opportunity to go, 
man, I really understand that struggle. And you know what? Here's how God has worked in my life. So pray for opportunity. Number two, prepare. That's hopefully this class. Read that book. Read some of those other books that I suggested. Prepare. Stay here in the class. And number three, prioritize. I couldn't come up with another P word or PR word, so this is kind of a lame one. But prioritize. In other words, like make it part of your lifestyle. Like, don't just make it one of those compartments. And you're and you're like, oh, yep, I need to make sure I do like an hour's worth of work in evangelism this month. No, like make it prioritize it up so that it's an aspect of your everyday life. You know, practically, so when you're riding to work tomorrow morning, pray that God would give you I mean, I don't know about you, but I drive to work alone. Instead of listening to the radio, pray. You could even like mull over one or two passages of scripture on your way, like write it on a note card before you leave, or just like meditate on it on the way after you get done praying. Maybe God would give you that opportunity to be like, oh, maybe I could talk about that today. So pray, prepare, and prioritize. Bring that evangelism up in in the in into a part of your everyday lifestyle. Any questions, comments? I'm done. All right. God, thank you for the opportunity. I pray that this class would equip us, it would help us to identify our failures, um, that it would not just do that and make us feel terrible, but that it would be an encouragement by teaching and training and equipping us so that we can be your disciples. Disciples who make other disciples who go and make other disciples so that we can spread your good news throughout the world one friend at a time. In your name I pray. Amen.